At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A warm Viva! Welcome to lovely Las Vegas for Coast to Coast Hoops with myself, Greg Hoops Pierce, and now part of the Visa Family Podcast, and we've got an absolutely tremendous podcast for you as it is the final of my conference previews. We have done 31 of the 32 conferences, and this one is going to round it out as we've got the Pac-12 preview today. So in segment number one, we're going to be taking a look at the betting trends and just the styles of play in general that we've got out in the Pac-12, a Pac-12 that did not see any coaching changes in the offseason, which I am not sure how that happened, but that did happen. But we're going to be eating upon that in segment number one. Segment number two, as he's done the last few seasons, Roxy Bernstein, who does amazing work over there at ESPN, Pac-12 Networks. Top of that, if you like baseball, he does play-by-play for the Oakland A's. He is going to be joining me. We're going to be looking at all 12 rosters with him. And then in the final segment, I'm going to give you guys my projection or finish for the Pac-12 as per usual for this podcast. If you've got a question, comment, segment idea, what have you for this podcast, you do have one of two ways we will fire those in. First one is my Twitter timeline at unit underscore 81. Keep in mind, letters M. Naming does not matter. As per usual, please send these into the timeline and the other way. That's fine. An Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. From there, you're able to fire in whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via that five-star review. I think I got a question or two in today, so those are all going to be answered tomorrow. And any news and notes that we saw in college basketball from, I would say, very, very super late Tuesday because we did see a little bit of news with Jermaine Cousard, ironically enough, with Oregon, which we're going to be hitting upon in segment number two, along with anything that we saw from Wednesday. That is going to be polished up on the podcast tomorrow as well. So have no fear there. We've got you guys covered on that front, and we've got you guys covered with this conference preview. So let's dive into a Pac-12 that... It was a very strange conference last year in the teams that were able to make you money because here were your top three cover teams in the Pac-12 from last season. Cal, Washington, and Arizona State. Even though you had UCLA have a solid year, Arizona, even though they didn't have the greatest run in the NCAA tournament, they were able to do quite a bit, but... With that said, it was a bunch of teams that they got off to really lackluster starts in non-conference play that really picked it up in conference play because with Arizona, they go 18-2. and They run the conference last season. UCLA, they go 15-5 and in conference play. And these are just straight-up records, by the way. Southern Cal, USC, they go 14-6. and From there, Colorado's 12-8. and You have a trio of 11-9 teams. And 
Washington, Oregon, and Washington State. And it was teams that they really started out slow and then they were able to pick up some steam that were really able to make you some money. I think that the primest example of this was just Cal in general playing a very slow style that because they were playing such a slow style, being an underdog in darn near all of their games, that was able to lend themselves to making you quite a bit of money. We'll get into their style of play in a few minutes. Arizona was still relatively solid against the spread along with UCLA. Neither team were massive money makers, but UCLA 18-16-1 against the spread. Arizona 19-16-2 against the spread. So both teams above that 52.38% that you need to make money. It was really teams that you were expecting a little bit more from that they fizzled. Like Oregon, who had made the Sweet 16 in the NCAA tournament the previous year. 13-22 and 22 against the spread. You could tell that this team just was not right all season long. You were expecting a little bit more from Utah. 10-18-3 and three against the spread. And then Oregon State, after they had made the Elite Eight the previous year. And right now, they look like the worst power conference team in all of college basketball. 9-21-1 against the spread. A big, giant, frowny face. And I alluded to those teams at the top that they got up to slow starts and they were able to finish strong. You notice that they were just absolutely amazing at covering games within the conference. Arizona State, for instance, 12-7-2 against the spread. This after they lost to UC Riverside on their home floor to begin the season. Washington, they lost to Northern Illinois to begin the season on their home floor. 16-6 against the spread in conference play. Colorado, just with their home court advantage, 12-8-2 against the spread. If you look at Colorado, bottom five team against the spread on the road the last five seasons. A top 10 team against the spread at home. Last few seasons, very demonstrative. Home court with Colorado. Cal was 12-9 against the spread within the conference. And then you had Utah go 5-14-2 against the spread after things weren't great, but things weren't terrible for them and for the Pac-12. You can tell that this conference in general just was not able to generate much outside the conference as they had one of the worst non-conference marks of any conference at all of college basketball. Cal was the only team that was really respectable. 8-3 against the spread in non-conference play. Utah went 5-4-1 against the spread out of conference. Arizona 7-6-1 against the spread. Washington State 8-7. And then you had UCLA at 6-6. But Colorado 1-9-1 against the spread. Oregon State. 2-8 and eight against the spread. Washington, 3-7 and seven against the spread. Oregon, 4-9 against the spread. Stanford, 4-6 and six against the spread. That's just an indicator of we had higher expectations for the Pac-12 coming into the season last year. And a lot of those teams, they really fizzled. And what I think is very intriguing about this conference in general is just taking a look at some of the styles of play. Because I mentioned it with Cal. Under Mark Fox, this team that just has not been able to play a very exciting brand of basketball in general. And because they are an underdog night in and night out, that allowed them to be able to cover a lot of numbers. As a matter of fact, among your 358 D1 teams from last season, they were 323rd in terms of total possessions per game. Colorado was a team that was in the middle at 167th, and you saw quite a few teams that they weren't necessarily gunning it up and down the court, but at the same time, they certainly weren't playing at a snail's pace either. Washington was really able to get out and play a bit faster than normal. They were 49th of the country in terms of possessions per game. Washington State, another one of those milquetoast teams at right around 206th 
in terms of total possessions per game. Neither Oregon team was necessarily gunning it up and down the floor, but at the same time, neither team was a slug. Oregon was 159th. Oregon State, 165th. Arizona, they were really that team that they were zagging while everyone else was zigging 17th in the country in terms of total possessions per game. But, but then once again, Arizona State, 146th in the country in terms of total possessions per game. You've got a lot of teams that they don't necessarily play super-duper fast. They don't necessarily play super-duper slow, but you do have a few outliers. Cal to the slow, Arizona to the super-duper fast. But what I think was just really hurting this conference in general was a lack of offensive efficiency. You could tell that it just wasn't there in terms of the low post play, nor was it there in terms of just being able to put it in from three-point range. Like Cal, 288th in the country in terms of points scored on a per-possession basis. Arizona State, just due to injury, their offense was anemic. 317th in the country in terms of total points scored on a per-possession basis. Now, you did have that outlier in Arizona. They were in the top 10 in the country. That is a big reason why they were able to cash some tickets to the over. I will get into that in a minute, but Oregon State, 239th in the country in points scored on a per-possession basis. Oregon, typically known for their defense, it lacked a little bit last season. They were just 120th in the country in total points scored on a per-possession basis. Colorado was 152nd. Washington, 245th in the country. Heck, Washington State was outside the top 100. Stanford, they had a tough time getting things going in terms of points scored on a per-possession basis. They were ranked outside of the top 225 at 231. So you had a lot of teams that they just weren't able to get out of neutral in general. At the same time, you did have quite a few teams that they were just completely lacking on defense. And you could tell this from the way that their games went over. Washington, 18 overs, 14 unders. A lot of that is due to total possessions per game. Arizona, they were able to do a good job of putting the ball in the basket. No surprise here. 21 overs to 16 unders, but Oregon and Oregon State really hit the over for you. Oregon State especially, 20 overs, 10 unders, and a push. Oregon, 21 overs, 13 unders, and a push. And if you just take a look at Oregon over the last three seasons, they have really been one of the top teams to the over in all of college basketball. As a matter of fact, the only team over the last three seasons that has had a higher over rate than Oregon in all of college basketball, the New Orleans Privateers, who play in the Southland, where there's absolutely no defense whatsoever. And Oregon State, they're actually number six to the over as well. In this time span, 58 overs, 36 unders, and a push in that span as well. Oregon, 60 overs, 32 unders, and two pushes, because you have noticed that with Roe Richardson being in the fold, they do have some three-point shooting firepower, but at the same time, defense has really been lackluster in terms of a lot of these teams as well. What I find to be very fascinating about the Pac-12 is that you don't necessarily have a lot of teams that they just dominate in terms of being able to shoot threes, but you've got a bunch of teams as well just because they lose a lot of guys via the transfer portal. You've noticed this the last few seasons in the Pac-12 where you've got guys like, for instance, on Oregon and Eric Williams Jr. going to San Diego, Andre 3000 Kelly over at Cal. He is going to be going to UC Santa Barbara. They've been losing so many guys, so as a result, the defensive prowess has not been there for this conference as you take a look at the three-point numbers for these teams and really your top three-point shooting defenses out there in the state of Washington. Washington State was 55th in the country. Washington, they were 69th in the country. They were able to do a solid job as a result. They were two of your better teams 
to the under last season as Washington, I mentioned a little bit earlier, was 18 overs to 14 unders, but with Washington State, 13 overs, 22 unders, and two pushes. You also saw this with Arizona State as well, an Arizona State team that perennially, they do a solid job on offense, not so much on defense, but you saw them really be able to step up last season as well. Not so much in terms of three-point shooting numbers as Arizona, 228th in the country in opponent's three-point shooting percentage. Arizona State, they were 242nd in the country in terms of three-point shooting percentage for their opponents, but that said, an Arizona State team that traditionally, they rank well outside the top one in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. They were actually 61st in the country last season. So, a little bit of credit where credit is due for them and really no credit in terms of some of the other defenses that we did see as Colorado in terms of guarding the three-point arc, 198th in the country that really has deteriorated for Oregon. I do think that they're going to be a little bit better on that front. They were 144th in the country in opponent's three-point shooting percentage. Oregon State, 235th in the country. And at Cal, who I was talking about a little bit earlier to them being just such a slow team, opponents shot just 27.4% from three-point range on them. That allowed them to be able to have some good results in terms of the totals. It was pretty much a 50-50 for them, 16 overs, 15 unders, and a push. So very intriguing to take a look at a lot of these teams. Offense, it has been deteriorating a little bit in the Pac-12, but also with the Pac-12, they've done a nice job of recruiting, and we've got to dive into that next with our good friend Roxy Bernstein. He does amazing work over at the Pac-12 Network. On top of that, ESPN, Oakland A's Baseball. He's going to be joining me to break down all 12 of these rosters in the Pac-12 next year on Coast Coast Hoops with myself, Greg Eats Pierce, and now part of the Houston Family Podcast, and I will preview you today. Are you ready to become a winning sports better? Schedule a call with SBIA to find out how their service can make you a long-term winning player. They've developed an innovative algorithm that maximizes units return, and they are so confident in their system that they offer a money-back guarantee. Sign up by October 31st and get their NBA package at no cost until they reach 10 net units. They treat sports betting like a business. So if you want to learn how to make your sports betting dreams a reality, visit them at SBIA1.com and check them out on social media at SBIA Sports. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. 
If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We're back to the moment in Las Vegas for Guess Guess Who's with myself, Craig Pierce, and now part of the Beeson Family Podcast. This is the Pac-12 Preview Edition, and... Great to have on our guest. He has joined me a few times for this, as it is Roxy Burns. Senior does absolutely amazing work taking a look at so many things, as I know he does play-by-play work for those of you that are fans of baseball for the Oakland A's. Top of that, ESPN, ESPN Radio, Pac-12 Network, play-by-play work there, doing some college football, doing some college basketball as well, and a man that you're able to follow very easily on Twitter, at Roxy Bernstein. First name, last name, all together. And Roxy, always a pleasure, my friend. Thank you. My pleasure as always. Great to have you aboard. And Roxy, I think that it's going to be a very interesting conference. And let's start with the team that did have a little bit of news come out over the last few days, and that would be Oregon. Pierce is out there a little bit banged up coming into the year. Jermaine Kuznard is not going to be good to go to start the season. But as we know, Oregon has been able to do a solid job in terms of transfer portal. I would say it's a little bit more of a lean year this year, but... I do like a lot of the pieces that Oregon brings back. They did a solid job in terms of the recruiting front as well, being able to get some big men in. And in terms of Oregon, them missing the NCAA tournament last year, I felt like was very uncharacteristic of them. And I think that they should get back. I think the big question is, where do they fit in terms of the conference? Because I think that they're more around that number three range. Yeah, they're definitely, Greg, in the upper half of the league. When you look at what Dana Altman has coming back, you mix in the, the outstanding freshman, Kalel Ware, who they're extremely high on. But, but keep in mind with Oregon, they've won the regular season crown of the Pac-12 for the last seven years. This is a team that is used to winning. And you're right, last year didn't go their way. To me, Greg, it was weird because they had a lot of internal issues and some chemistry problems and look, when you play the transfer game in the portal, and Dana Altman was doing it before it was fashionable to play the transfer game in the portal, right? They were, they've been doing this for a while. This is a group they're hoping to get back to the NCAA tournament with. They have some veteran experience. Will Richardson coming back. I think Quincy Gurrier battled through some injuries last year. He's finally getting healthy. Certainly the impact that Infali Dante can make should he stay healthy. He's battled some knee injuries. But Dana really seems to like this group. I don't know how deep the group is. But they've got some pieces that are definitely put them in the upper top of the conference. And I do think that you point out the big thing with Oregon depth, keeping those guys like Infali Dante and Covey out there on the court, I think is going to be big. And they bring in someone from Colorado and Keyshawn Bartholomew. That should be a love them out as well. And I do think that the Buffaloes are a fascinating team for this upcoming season as well, because Colorado, they went the smart kid around. They brought in two guys from the Ivy League, Jalen Gibbeton. And Ethan Wright, I think that these guys are going to be able to make a little bit of an impact for them. And it just feels like every year we discredit this Colorado team. And every year they do a solid job. A lot of that, in my opinion, is just due to the fact that Boulder has won the toughest 
and most underrated places to play in all of college basketball. I also do think that something that's out of sight, out of mind, Quincy Allen was out of the fold last season, a guy that's a top 100 recruit. He should be back for this year as well. I take a look at Colorado. I don't think that they're going to be challenging for the conference title or anything like that, but this is certainly a team that I would not want to sleep on, and I think that they're just going to do what they do every year, be that team that wins right around 20 or so games very silently in the Pac-12. And that's what Tad Boyle's done since he's taken over this program, is just win. You're talking about a program that didn't really have the history of success. They, they had some single seasons along the way, but they haven't had the sustained success. And I think that's what Tad Boyle's been able to bring to Boulder. They've won 20 or more in each of the last four years. Now, they did lose their top three scorers from last year, including Jabari Walker, who went on to the NBA, and Evan Batty graduated. And you mentioned Bartholomew, who's now at Oregon. But, and this has also been a program that's had some really good leaders over the years. You look at McKinley Wright a couple of years ago, Batty last year. I think Colorado's searching for that leadership. Maybe Tristan De Silva is that guy. But I know Tad Boyle really enjoys this group already. I, I talked to him last week, and he feels that this team is going to be very competitive. Can they be knocking on the door for the NCAA tournament? Yeah, I think it's possible. But And I do believe this team will be in the postseason somewhere, and we'll see how this thing plays out. But they have some interesting pieces for Tad Boyle to work with. And this team, I think, has some very fascinating pieces as well as Roxy Bernstein does amazing work at ESPN. And for those that are fans of baseball, does a great job with the Oakland A's play-by-play work is joining me on the podcast. And that'd be Washington State. They've got a Rodman on the team and DJ Rodman. I think that he's going to be able to have a solid year for this team. But what I think is interesting is bringing in Justin Powell. I remember two years ago, I was at Auburn. He had like a 12 or so game stretch where he looked absolutely tremendous, but just was dealing with the concussions, couldn't really get out there on the floor for Tennessee last season. I think that he's an under-the-radar transfer. And then Andre Yagmovsky, I really think is the X factor for this team, a guy that came in from North Macedonia. When he got minutes last year, I felt like he was able to do some good things. If he and Mohamed Gay can be solid down low for the team, I think that there's quite a bit of upside for Washington State, a Washington State team that I do feel like they've got some more to questions in the backcourt. Yeah, but the one thing I do like, I think they're going to be better defensively. When you look at last year, they had Michael Flowers and Tyrell Roberts who could go get them a bucket when they needed one. And they both moved on. Flowers graduated. Roberts transferred to USF. And then they also lost Noah Williams to the cross-state rival, Washington. But I do like their length and size on the perimeter. And defensively, guys like TJ Bamba, you mentioned DJ Rodman, that they can really defend with their length. They've been through a lot as a group already, Greg, because Deshaun Jackson, who they were counting on, is probably not going to play this year because of something that happened here in the offseason. A heart issue popped up for him. We'll see, and time will tell if they'll have him. And another guy they're really ho- hoping to have this year is a kid they redshirted last year who felt they could have helped him, but let him sit out the year for growth and development. That's Miles Rice. And Miles Rice was diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. So there's opportunities for minutes there. Those were two guys they were going to count on. And Jackson was supposed to be a big physical presence down low. And certainly Rice was going to be a guy that could help out in the perimeter. But what Kyle Smith has done with Washington State, they have back-to-back winning seasons, which, oh, you might be kind of raising your rubber out. Really? What's the big deal about that? Well, it hadn't been done since 2010 through 2012. And... Are they ready to make that jump and get to the NCAA tournament? They had a really good run in the NIT last year. I think it's possible. I don't think it's out of the question. Some guys have to step up 
and make that jump. For example, Muhammad Gay, who you alluded to, who was an all-freshman team member in the Pac-12 last year, he's got to make that jump. And he tested the NBA waters, decided to come back. He even went in the portal and decided Washington State was the best place for him. But I think they're going to be a really good team defensively. My only concern with them, Greg, is the playmaking ability and the lack of a true point guard. I wonder how much that's going to hurt them. I agree. I think the biggest question mark for Washington State is in the backcourt. I do like what they have down low. And I think it's going to be interesting to see if this team is able to get back a little bit more to defensive form. And that'd be Washington. Washington really cranked up the tempo towards back half of the last season. And for Washington, it was a rough start to the year for them. No offense or buts about it. You lose to Northern Illinois and your home floor. That's not great. But under the radar, Washington actually played quite a bit better in conference play. And in my opinion, that really did save the job of Mike Hopkins. And now he brings in someone in Keon Brooks that could be a complete game record. A guy that was able to put up double figures or is at Kentucky. Jamal Bay is back in fold as well. Six foot six guy that's able to shoot it well from three point range. PJ Fuller is someone whose game that I like. And Frank Kepening, he's very solid, comes in from Oregon. He should be able to do some things down low. My biggest question mark with Washington, though, is depth because I mentioned those guys that I like them. I just wonder who's going to be able to come in off the bench, give this team like five, six points, bury a three or two. That's what I really think that Washington is lacking coming into the season. Look, anytime they needed a bucket last year, Terrell Brown Jr. could go get it. He led the conference in scoring, averaged almost 22 points a game. Where is that bucket going to come from when they need it? They have an intriguing roster. You mentioned Keon Brooks that transferred in from Kentucky. They like Braxton Mia a lot, a seven-footer that transferred from Fresno State, and Frank Kepnong as well, the seven-footer from Oregon. And then Noah Williams, Seattle kid coming back, averaged nine and a half points a game for Wazoo last year. For them, right, getting back to what they do defensively, I think this group, Greg, fits more along the lines of what Mike Hopkins can do defensively in terms of the length. When you have a big guy in the middle, that's Nate Roberts is okay last year, but didn't really fit that bill for them. They have those big bodies in length to play that zone, which Mike Hopkins wants to play. You can move Jamal Bay to the top of the zone with some of the pieces that they have. They're interesting also to me because, uh, all right, how quickly can this group gel? It took them a little while last year. Washington might be the most interesting team to me in the Pac-12 just because of so many question marks, but people that you think you might be able to get stuff from. And this is a team that I think that you're going to be able to get some stuff from, but I wonder if it's all going to come together. And that'd be Stanford, because with Stanford, they've been a big question mark the last few seasons. And I do think that this is really a put-up-or-shut-up year for Jared Ass, who he's had quite a bit of a leash over there at Stanford. And a big thing for him, he's got Harrison Ingram back in fold. I don't think that a lot of people thought that he was going to be coming back for his sophomore year, but... Here he is after he put up right around 10 or so points per contest last season. No doubt, one of the most talented players in the conference of Jalen Thompson, a top 100 recruit. He's going to be in the fold as well. Now the question becomes, what are you going to be able to get out of some of these ancillary pieces like a Spencer Jones? They bring in Michael Jones via the transfer portal at Davidson. He's six foot five. He's able to give this team some versatility. He's able to pop a few threes. But I do think that with Stanford, even though they've got a lot of guys, they're able to stretch a floor like a Brandon Angel. Consistency is big for them because it felt like with Stanford, they could spring an upset on any given time. But at the same time, they could have a big giant clunker against anyone as well. I think this is the group. Greg, that gets Stanford back to the tournament for the first time since 2014. I've seen them practice already. 
they can really shoot the ball. Between Spencer Jones and you mentioned Mike Jones, the grad transfer from Davidson, which Stanford doesn't get those guys. It's next to impossible for Stanford to get a grad transfer or transfer of any kind in. And Michael Jones, who still has two years to play, should he want to stick around for a couple of years at Stanford, is a nice addition for them to help stretch the floor. They don't really right now have a guy that you can count on as the point. And whether it's Michael O'Connell, Issa Silva off the bench, I get the feeling the offense is going to run through Harrison Ingram, who you know tested the NBA waters, which you alluded to, decided to come back. But they have nine key players back from their team from a year ago. And then you add Jones into the mix. You mentioned Jalen Thompson. Stanford's got depth. And Stanford's got versatile players. Stanford also has highly skilled players that can shoot the ball. And I believe that's going to be why Stanford will get back to the tournament. I I don't think they'll contend for the Pac-12 championship. But I do believe that Stanford will definitely be in the mix as far as the NCAA tournament goes. And one of the biggest draft decisions, in my opinion, was Ingram coming back because I think that he has just so much talent. As joining me on the podcast, another person with a ton of talent, Roxy Bernstein, does amazing work over there at ESPN. And I think in terms of the transfer portal, the Pac-12 might have been lacking a little bit. And I take a look at teams that did something in the transfer portal, and this team ranks towards the top for me. Arizona State, I love the moves that they did make Warren Washington seven footer comes in from Nevada I think that he's going to be an impact guy for the backcourt they bring in the two Cambridges Devin Cambridge from Auburn Desmond Cambridge from Nevada Frankie Collins didn't see a lot of run in Michigan but highly touted guy he comes into the fold now Jamea Neal it looks like he's going to be out towards the beginning part of the season that's going to be hurting them just a little bit but I take a look at what Arizona State was able to do in the offseason and this is the big if with them. If they're able to have Marcus Bagley out there on the full, because he's had a lot of injury concerns, this could be a team that really takes off because though Arizona State was not as great on offense last season, they were really good on defense. And if you could get someone like a Luther Bahama going, this Arizona State team, I think, could surprise quite a few people this year. Yeah, and as you alluded to with Bobby Hurley, and this is a team that's very similar to Washington, that they started off poorly. They were 3-9 and nine to start league play. They finished with a 10-10 and record in conference play. They found something toward the end of the year, and the pieces just didn't fit. They never gelled last year until late. And DJ Horn coming back, to me, is kind of the leader of this group. If Marcus Badley can stay healthy, he hasn't proven that he can do that. He's played only 15 games in his two years on campus. And then Luther Muhammad was another guy that they were counting on last year. Only gave him about five points per game, Craig coming over from Ohio State, has dealt with a shoulder issue. Those guys will definitely be in the mix with the guys you alluded to from the portal. And then I think Austin Nunez, as a freshman they're really high on, was a four-star recruit out of San Antonio. They're in that middle tier behind the group of, you know, UCLA is clearly the favorite to beat in this league. Then you have Arizona, I think USC, Oregon in that next group. But then you have like Stanford and Arizona State and Colorado. Those teams are going to be in there battling it out. And I think the, turn, the Sun Devils will be in the conversation for the NCAA tournament. I do think so as well. I really like the upside of this Arizona State team. So we're in locks up there, and I love the moves that they made in the transfer portal. And I think that this is going to be a big year for second-year coach Craig Smith. He brings in a few guys via the transfer portal. Gavin Baxter is coming in from BYU. We've been talking about health with a few of the guys for Arizona State, and it's going to be massive for him because he was all sorts of banged up players at BYU. I like the fact that they brought in Mike Saunders Jr. from Cincinnati as well, along with Ben Carlson from Wisconsin. But 
They do lose a lot of their star scores from last season. Someone like a Booth Gotch being out of the fold, I think, is going to hurt them, though they do bring back Marco Anthony, who's just so intriguing. At six foot six, he does a great job of being able to pull in a lot of rebounds, not necessarily a dynamic score, but he's able to do quite a bit there. But I do think that having someone like a Laser Stefanovic be able to step up is going to be big for them because with Utah, I think the biggest knock on them is I take a look up and down this roster, and they really don't have that one go-to score. And losing a guy like a David Jenkins, who is a rock-solid three-point shooter, I do think is going to be hurting them for this upcoming season. Yeah, you're right. They do have a lot of guys, and you go, oh, that guy's pretty good. This guy, he can do, he can do a lot of things. Oh, he's a good player. But they don't have that great player. As good as Brandon Carlson is, as a second-team All-Pac-12 player last year, is a real presence, I think, defensively, and the things that he can do at that end of the floor. As a go-to scorer, I don't think he's that kind of a guy, but he can be a nice secondary scorer. But the unfortunate thing for Utah is I think they have a bunch of those guys, right, Greg? Bunch of secondary scores. It was a tough transition year, I think, for Craig Smith last year. He wasn't used to losing the way they did. At one point, they lost 10 straight games. They finished, what, 11-20 and 20 last year and only four conference wins. Still have to prove they can win on the road. There's some steps this Utah program has to make until they can move up into, the, I think, the middle of the conference. But I do believe they're trending in the right direction. I do think so as well. And I think that Craig Smith is a good coach. And I think that this man, Wayne Tinkle, is an absolutely tremendous coach. I take a look at Oregon State, though, and boy, it's tough. I wish I could share it it any other way, but I do like Dimitri Rooney. He's coming in from San Francisco. I think that he's going to get some good run with this team. Dexter Akano, I think, is going to be able to give you a little bit of something as well, but just absolutely debilitating that they lose Christian right before the season. It looked like he was going to be a big cog for this team in the backcourt. They lose so many guys via the transfer portal, and just so hard to believe. 18 months ago, we were celebrating Oregon State pulling off an incredible run, making the Elite Eight. I take a look at it right now, and they went 1-19 in conference play this past season, and 1-19 should probably be the expectation this season because I think it's going to be very difficult for them this year. Yeah, it, it's going to be a tough go of it. And for, he's got a young roster. And even you look at the quote-unquote experienced guys. Glenn Taylor Jr. was a freshman last year. And he was on the all-freshman team and, and really blossomed, I thought, last year. Dexter Ocano is a junior. One thing you know with Wayne Tinkle is kids are going to play hard and they're going to battle. And that's going to happen on a nightly basis. They're not going to quit. Even last year, they played a lot of those games tough. But I think this is a year where I believe that Oregon State is building for the 23-24 season. That, okay, let's see these pieces, what they can do, all these young players, and incorporate them because this is a group that could be together, this nucleus, for a few years. This is a, a program, I think, in a year or two that could be really making some strides again under Wayne. Yeah, but I think that this is sort of that rebuilding year for Oregon State. I do think that they're going to take their lumps this season. Outlook past this year, I think, is a bit more promising than here in 2022-23. As Roxy Bernstein does amazing work over there at the Pac-12 Network, along with ESPN, is joining me on the podcast. And for Cal, I think that's going to be another tough year for them, especially losing someone like an Andre Kelly. He was so good for the team down low, 13.5 points, 8.5 boards. He is now out to the Big West, but 
I do take a look at what they brought in in Devin Askew from Texas. I recognize he was never able to reach his full potential at Texas or Kentucky, but a former five-star guy who should be running the point for this team, that's big. And then they bring in some experience to help him out in Dewan Clayton. Clayton was playing over there at Hartford last season. A few years ago, I remember he's at Coppin State, one of the better players that we saw in the MIAC over the last few seasons. And I think the big question for Cal is, Who's going to be able to step up around them? Are they going to be able to get a little bit more in the backcourt, unlike last season where it was very hit or miss, it was very spotty in terms of their three-point shooting? And Cal, up until that injury to Andre Kelly, they were actually very competitive in a lot of games, just weren't able to pull out a bunch of them. I think the big question mark for them is replacing Andre Kelly because I feel like that loss has went a little bit under the radar, and I think that not, not having him down low, that is going to be hurting this Cal team. Yeah, that's a big addition for UC Santa Barbara to get Andre Kelly to grad transfer down there. Talking to Mark Fox last week about his team, he really likes his group. He likes their athleticism, their size and length. They have the look of a Pac-12 team. Now, they're still projected to be near the bottom of the league, and I think they're offensively challenged. But defensively, I think they're going to be really good, and that's going to give them the opportunity to compete and be in games. Jalen Celestine, who they're counting on, to be a consistent outside presence is going to be out for a little bit with an injury. But I believe they have enough to overcome in terms of bodies. You mentioned Askew and Clayton. Joel Brown is another one who is a good creator as well as a, a lockdown defender. They're looking for some other guys to make that jump, like Lars Team and the seven-footer from Germany. I know they're really high on Andy Okafor, who's a true freshman they brought in from Ireland. But that's the big thing is the transformation of this roster. For Mark Fox, look, Cal's had five consecutive losing seasons. It has been a rough go of it for Cal. Mark Fox is trying to get this team, this program to turn the corner. I think the roster overhaul was the first step toward making that happen for Mark Fox. And I do think that they've got some talent now in the backcourt as well. It might take Askew a little bit of time to be able to get down the offense, to be able to polish up his game. But I do think that he's going to be playing his best basketball towards the back half of the season. And that leads us to USC, who's got... Vince Ayuchuku, who's going to be out of the fold, that that's a tough loss for them because he was a big part of what I felt like was the best recruiting class in the Pac-12 but won the best in all of college basketball. Beyond just the basketball aspect, you just hope that the kid is okay because he collapsed during workouts over the summertime. So just beyond the court, you hope that the kid is able to just get into better health in general and that he's just feeling better. But now it's going to lead to more opportunities for someone like a Kishani Wright. He was a top 75 recruit. He's someone that six foot nine should be able to make some strides down low for this team. I also like the fact that they bring back David Peterson, who's got a great name, 12 and a half points, very good three point shooter, six foot eight, versatile combo guy. I think the big question is, can Joshua Morgan for as long as Ayuchuku is going to be out the full, which could be the entirety of the season hold it down down low because I think that he's really going to be a guy that could determine how far the team goes. And Josh Morgan is an active shot blocker. When he was at Long Beach State prior to transferring to USC, he was the defensive player of the year in the Big West as a freshman. So it goes to show you the ability and what he can do. Last year, he didn't really get that opportunity. He only had played like, what, about 12 minutes a game because they were so loaded in the front court with Isaiah Mobley, Chavez Goodwin, Isaiah White was there. You mentioned Peterson. This was a deep team last year that doesn't necessarily have the same depth. And the strange thing is they don't have one transfer in. 
the entire recruiting class is made up of five freshmen including a kid from Russia, but Uwachuku, hopefully they'll get him back. And all indications are Andy Enfield's encouraged by the progress that he is making. And health-wise, he is doing okay. But the return of Drew Peterson, Boogie Ellis, I think Reese Dixon Waters, Kobe Johnson are ready to emerge as real legitimate top-end talent for USC. And you throw the freshman in, that's a pretty good mix that Andy Enfield will have. Yep, I agree with you. And then under the radar as well, if they're able to get him out there on the floor, Yislav Nyagu, he's a seven-footer that he should be able to provide a little bit of something down low as well as Roxy Bernstein of ESPN joining me on the podcast. And these are the top two, in my opinion. We're going to start with Arizona. As no doubt, they take some losses from last season. You lose a guy in Ben Matherin, who, by the way, playing quite well for the Indiana Pacers right now. That's going to hurt you a little bit along Christian Coloco, who is so good down low. But for Arizona, bringing back Azulis Tabellas, I felt was absolutely massive for this team. Pele Larson, I remember when he was at Utah shooting over 45% from three-point range two seasons ago. I like his overall upside. What I think is really an under-the-radar loss for this team is Dallin Terry, just because he was a Swiss Army Knife guy, not necessarily the master of anything, but someone that was able to do quite a bit in terms of just being able to throw out the ball, give you a few points, get other guys involved, but the guy that I think could really be able to fill that role is the kid from Campbell, Cedric Henderson Jr., a guy that was able to shoot well from three-point range, is able to give you some rebounding at six foot six, very good scorer. I think that he was an under-the-radar addition towards the back half of the transfer portal cycle. And I think for Arizona, they're probably not going to be the same team like fighting for the top five like they were last season, but no doubt. I do think that this is going to be a good year number two for Tommy Lloyd. I don't think they have the same firepower they had last year. In the guys they lost, three of them drafted in the top 33 of the NBA draft. But the offensive numbers they put up last year, where they led the country in assists per game. They were third in the country in scoring. They shot at just under 50% as a team. I mean, the way they could get up and down. They had a fabulous season. Pac-12 champs. They went 18-2 and in the league. And the heartbreaking frustrating end of their season when they lost to Houston in the Sweet 16. And they survived a real scare against TCU in the second round. But Tommy Lloyd has is, is tried to replenish the talent. He's gone the international route with a couple of guys, a couple of four-star prospects, as well as the two transfers. Arizona is a, is a program. And you look at the, what Lute Olson started, what Sean Miller did, and now what Tommy Lloyd is engulfing on in his second season. Year in, year out, Arizona's going to be right there at the top. And Tommy Lloyd made it just a smooth transition for people to get used to him coaching. I think the joy that this team played with last year all stems back to the system that Tommy's employing. I don't think they're going to play as fast this year, but they still have, I think, the ability to put the ball in the basket, and they have a tough team to defend considering all five guys on the floor can be threats. But I know that Kirk Carissa really became a little bit of a polarizing figure last season. I don't think we're going to say, see the same Kirk Carissa that we saw in the NCAA tournament. You could tell that he was obviously hurt having the offseason help him out. I think he's going to be back to the more solid player that we saw in Pac-12 play. And then we've got this bunch. That would be UCLA, a team that in a day and age where you see so many guys go through the transfer portal, they really didn't utilize it this offseason. But what I do like about them is bringing in Amari Bailey, a top 10 prospect that I think is going to be able to help out right away. And the biggest revelation last year, in my opinion, for UCLA, 
Tiger Campbell was really shooting it well from three-point range and really expanded upon his game while still being incredibly efficient. He only turned the ball over right around 1.2 to 1.3 times per contest. I like the way that UCLA has been able to recruit. I think that Adam Bona, who comes in from the state of California, I think that he's going to be massive for this team as well. I think the UCLA has all the goods for another big season and perhaps win the conference this year. Oh, there's no doubt. And UCLA is a legitimate Final Four national championship contender. That's how good and deep this team is. And as good as Tiger Campbell has been on the ball, Mick Cronin saying they're going to play him off the ball quite a bit this year. Between Will McClendon, who can run the point, Amari Bailey, that'll free up Tiger to take advantage of it as he shot the ball so well from three last year. Then Jaime Jaquez tests the waters, decides to come back. They have shooters. They have size. They defend. They have physicality. UCLA's got all the pieces, Greg. They're a legitimate, legitimate threat to win the national championship. Oh, I agree. Having Jaime Hawkins back in fold, absolutely massive for them. And even a guy like Dylan Andrews, I think, is going to be able to contribute in the backcourt. Just loads and loads of depth with this UCLA team. And a man that always provides loads of great insights. That would be you, Roxy. I know that you're going to be very busy these next few weeks because I know that you're still in college football mode. And on top of that, college basketball season it is starting up now in just four short days so i know you're all ready to go there so let the good people at home know it's on tap for you and how people can follow along on social media and other platforms well you gave my twitter handle earlier at roxy bernstein all one word r-o-x-y-b-e-r-n-s-t-e-i-n this weekend i got some football on saturday i live in the bay area luckily i'm fortunate to have a home game this week i got washington state stanford and then opening night of the college basketball season, I will be over at Haas Pavilion in Berkeley for UC Davis against Cal. And the schedule ramps up. I'm excited. I got some really big games coming up early. Houston, Oregon on November 20th on a Sunday night in Eugene, which will be an awesome game and a precursor to the PK Invitational, which I'll be a part of in Portland at Thanksgiving tournament, which is going to be unbelievable both on the men's and women's side. Oh my gosh, that PK-85 is going to be a banger. I remember the PK-80 many years ago. That was an incredible tournament. So you're going to be in for some great action there. And for Houston, that is going to be a tough test for them. I've got them number three entering into the season. But when you go to Eugene, it's one of the toughest places to play in all of college basketball, in my opinion. And if you just take a look at the track record of Dana Altman against ranked teams, it's one of the most insane things ever. So that is going to be absolutely tremendous. And Roxy, he does do absolutely tremendous work taking a look at college football and college basketball on top of that does some great work with the Oakland A's as well we shall see what happens with the A's in the next few seasons as a lot is going on there but what we do know is that Roxy is going to be providing great coverage of college basketball all season long a big thanks to him for joining me right here on the on Coast to Coast Superstar, part of the Visa Family Podcast. Coming up next, it is that time of the podcast that I give you my projector or finish for the conference. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. 
Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back here in lovely Las Vegas for discussions with myself, Greg Pierce, and now part of the Beeson Family Podcast. Always a pleasure to get Roxy Bernstein aboard. He joins me darn near every year for the Pac-12 Preview Edition. He does absolutely amazing work over there at ESPN. All the respect in the world to what he does. He is one of the best in the business. And occasionally he's on the call with Bill Walton. Whenever those two are on the call, it's always very tremendous. I know that there are some varying thoughts on Bill Walton. I absolutely love what we get out of him. I think that in smaller doses, you like Bill Walton. A little bit too much is like having too much chocolate where you could get a little bit of a stomach ache. But that said, I never get a stomach ache from having Roxy Bernstein on the show because he does absolutely incredible work. So big thanks to him for joining me in the last segment. Now it is that time of the podcast. I give you my projector or finish for the Pac-12. Please do note that because I am doing a conference preview today, that means that the news and notes that we saw from college basketball on Wednesday, I am going to be rounding those up tomorrow and I'll be getting any Twitter questions that you guys fire in, whether they have been fired in late Tuesday, early Wednesday, or towards the back half of Wednesday as well. So I will be cleaning that up on the podcast tomorrow, but let's dive into dead last in terms of my projector or finish. I think that this one just deserves a big, giant, frowny face. Oregon State, I mean, boy, it's not good. Oregon State, in my opinion, is just the worst power conference team 
in all of college basketball. If they were in the West Coast Conference, they'd be in the bottom three. Dimitri Rooney is coming in from San Francisco, and I mean, good for him. He's someone that I think can actually be able to lend a little bit of something for this team, but I mean, he comes in after he averaged 1.7 points per contest last season at San Francisco. Two years ago, was a little bit more solid with right around 9.5 points, 5.5 points per game, but he's now the main low post guy because Warwithal Atiche decided, you know what? Peace out. I am not going to be playing for Oregon State this season. I'm just going to randomly play professionally as they lose each other top five scorers from last season. Dexter Akano was able to give the team right around five points per contest. He's now one of the main backcourt pieces because Christian Wright, who is supposed to be a starting guard for the team, he's out for the season. You're looking at someone like a Glenn Taylor Jr. who was able to put up seven points per contest, being one of the top guys for the team this season. They were already bad from three-point range. You seventy first in the country last season. They really don't return anyone that shot above 30% from three-point range. They brought in darn near nothing via the transfer portal. There's nowhere else I could put this team other than dead last in terms of my projector of finish. I think that's going to be a beady, beady rough year for them. At number 11 in terms of my projector of finish, I'm going to be going with Cal now. I do think that for Cal, bringing in the two transfer guards that they did, it is going to be able to help them out quite a bit as you've got Dwan Clayton who he has been in college basketball for seemingly $100 million billion years. Last season he was at Hartford after beginning his career out in the MEAC. He only played two games last season at Hartford, but you take a look at the last full season he played while he was at Compensate. Right around 15 points, five boards. Never has been a good three-point shooter. A career about 28.5% three-point shooter. And Devin Askew, he's not going to be bringing a lot of three-point shooting to the table, but a former five-star recruit. Everyone had this kid rated in their top 40. Just was unable to get out there on the floor in general for Texas. Was a starter a few years ago at Kentucky. Once again, the offense is going to be limited with him, but he's a good defender. He's going to be able to dole out the ball, but what are you going to be able to get down low? Losing Andre Kelly, in my opinion, was just so massive. 13.5 points, 8.5 boards per contest, so that really hurts them, and for Cal, this is a team that in general, even with them in the fold, they weren't necessarily that rock-solid defensive team. I think it's going to be very important that they get some guys in the backcourt to be able to step up, like a Joel Brown, who was able to show some flashes towards back half season. Jared Hyder, who came in from Fresno State a few seasons ago, he's going to be able to do a little bit of something, but Kene Kune, who I think is probably going to be seeing a lot of minutes down low. That's not necessarily what you want. And then you've got Lars Seaman, who's able to give you a little bit of versatility, but at the same time, I think that he needs to work on his toughness. He's got good seven foot one size, but I don't think that he's going to be a good rim protector for the team. I think that there's a lot that is currently not going right for Cal, and I think that it is going to be a relatively rough season for them. So I do have Cal at number 11 in terms of my projector or finish. At number 10, I am going to be going with Utah. Raleigh Worcester coming back in the fold, I think, is big. He led the team in assists last season, was able to give the team four and a half boards per game. And then Marco Anthony, he's just Mr. Do-It-All. Nine points, seven boards, two assists. Not a guy that's going to go scorch earth from three, but on his like one or so threes per game, he was able to shoot about 35% from distance. So he's able to provide a little bit of something. You got question marks with this team as you've got a lot of health-related question marks as Gavin Baxter, who comes in from BYU. He's been just off and on injured throughout his career. I think that he's going to be able to provide something down low as someone that's right around six foot nine, six foot ten. But is he going to be able to stay out there on the floor? Ben Carlson could never really live up to his billing at Wisconsin. A former top 150 recruit just was never able to take off 
for the Badgers. I do like Mike Saunders Jr. coming in. He was a double-figure scorer while he was at Cincinnati a few seasons ago. Last year, more around 7.5 points per contest. A solid 36% three-point shooter, but losing Booth Gotch, losing David Jenkins, those guys are going to be missed in the backcourt, and when it comes down to it, you're going to need Brandon Carlson, this 7-foot versatile player, to really be able to stay out there on the floor. He saw just 24 games last season. He missed 8 games due to injury. Was able to put up 13.5 points per contest. He's able to shoot it from 3-point range as a 7-footer, but he's a little bit limited in terms of what he's able to provide down low, and I think that that's going to be tough for a Utah team in which they've got a lot of guys that, as Roxy was talking about, they're okay players, but they don't necessarily have that one go-to guy that you're able to get a bucket from at the end of the game, and I think that that could cause for Utah to lose some close ones. So I do have them at number 10 in terms of my projector or finish. At number 9, I am going to be going with the Huskies of Washington. With Washington, they've actually got some good frontline talent. Keon Brooks, who comes in from Kentucky, is a very solid player. He was able to average nearly 11 points per contest last season. He's able to give you a couple boards. Big thing with them is that he's just not a consistent three-point shooter at all. He's six foot seven, a little bit of a wing player, so that is going to be hurting them a little bit. I like what you're able to get out of P.J. Fuller as well. He was able to tally about seven and a half points per contest, began his career at TCU. That's all for them. And Jabal Bay, he's able to throw it in the Bay. A high 30s three-point shooter, nine and a half points per contest, was able to play some of his best basketball towards back half of the season. Frank Kepenang was never really consistent at Oregon, but has a lot of potential. Someone that stands right around six foot eleven, but they don't really have a lot of, shall we say, depth with this team. What are you going to be able to get out of some like Cole Bejima coming in off the bench? Braxton Mia is someone who's seven foot one, but he comes in for Fresno State after he averaged like two points per contest. Very much a project. Noah Williams, he was all sorts of inconsistent from three point range last season at Washington State. Now I will say two years ago he was actually really good at Washington State. I still remember that. 40-point game they put up, I believe, against Sanford. He is someone that is able to go score shirts for you at the same time. Lack of consistency with him. I do think that depth going to be the issue with Washington because they do have some good frontline talent at the same time. Are you going to have someone like a Corin Johnson who comes in as a freshman be able to come in and be able to give the team good minutes? Big question marks on that front. So as a result, I do have the Huskies at number 9 in terms of my projector or finish. At number 8, I'm going to be going with the other team from Washington, Washington State. I feel like they did lose quite a bit in the offseason. Tyrell Ghost Roberts transferring elsewhere. I do think is relatively big for this team. They lose the gentleman that I was mentioning a little bit earlier, Noah Williams. I do really like that they brought in Justin Boom Boom Powell. I mentioned it while he was at Auburn as a freshman, a top 100 recruit. He had a very nice go of it in like his first 10 or so games. Suffers that concussion and just was not the same player last year at Tennessee. Could be a new little bit lease on his college basketball career from there. And then you do have DJ Rodman down low for this team. Andre Yagmovsky whenever he actually got minutes. This guy was able to put up some absolutely tremendous numbers. At the same time his usage was a little bit spotty so I do question that. Someone like Miles Rice who is a little bit of a redshirt freshman. I think that he's going to be able to make some contributions and TJ Bamba don't sleep on him he was able to shoot 36% from three-point range last season two seasons ago in terms of road and neutral court games he was one of the best players in all of college basketball shooting from three-point range so you actually do have some nice versatility with him he stands right around six foot five ish but losing as many pieces as they did from the backcourt of last season I think that that is going to be very costly for a Washington State team that I think that they're very well coached Nerdball has been able to take effect in Washington State. I do think that Kyle Smith is going to be able to do a solid job with this team, but losing each out of really your top four scores from last season, it's going to be tough, and I just have my big giant question marks 
when it comes to whether or not guys like a Deshaun Jackson are going to be able to take that stride forward. So I do have Washington State as a result. And number eight, in terms of my projector or finish. And number seven, I am going to be going with Colorado. This feels like your classic 20-win team that goes right around 500 in conference play. With Colorado losing Keyshawn Bartholomew, that is going to be big. And I know that it was alluded to by our good friend Roxy and that they lose each other top three scores from last season. Evan Batty and Jabari Walker. These guys were tremendous with Batty, 12.5 points per contest, and Walker, 14.5 points, 9.5 boards at 6'8". Both of those guys were able to pop some threes and and now it becomes a little bit incumbent upon someone in Quincy Allen, who is a former top 100 recruit, to come back in the fold and be able to provide some stability for this backcourt. I think that that's going to be very big. They have invested in the smart kids as Ethan Wright. He is going to be coming in from the Ivy League along Jalen Gibbon. Gibbon, not necessarily the world's greatest scorer. He was able to put up a little bit over 10 points, right around 5 boards per contest at Yale, but it's certainly going to be a good plus defender for the team. K.J. Simpson coming back into the fold, I think is big as well with Simpson. Very much a little bit all over the place last year, a feast or famine guy, but he was able to put up right around 7.5 points per contest. He's able to add in there nearly a seal per game as well. A good defender for this team and someone that's able to guard a little bit bigger than what he is at six foot two. so I do like what he's able to do. And then Tristan De Silva, you tell that when he was off the floor for those few games last season that it was very impactful for the team. He's able to shoot about 80% of the line, shot very well from three-point range as within the conference, he shot about 47.5% from three-point range. So he's able to light it up on that front, being six foot nine. That provides good versatility. But I question who's going to be bringing up the ball for this team. They need someone like a Nikkei Clifford to be able to step up, be able to take a little bit of the pressure off of someone like an Ethan Wright, who I do think is going to be playing a big role coming in from Princeton and Julian Hammond. I've got my question marks with them in the backcourt as well. So as a result, I do have Colorado at number seven. In terms of my projector or finish, we're going to be going with at number six, Stanford. Because with Stanford, I do love the fact that Harrison Ingram is back in the fold for this team as Lions easy was able to put up right around 11 to 12 points per contest. Who is going to be that marquee go-to scorer? That is the biggest question with this team. They've got Mike Jones. Who? Mike Jones coming in from Davidson, and I think that that is absolutely terrific for the team. 12 points, 3.5 boards, was able to shoot over 40% from three-point range, and that's something that was needed for Sanford. Sanford was one of the most anemic three-point shooting teams in all of college basketball last season, but then you have just a bunch of dudes, and I wish I could put it any other way, but you've got a lot of guys like... For example, Michael O'Connell. He was able to put up seven to seven and a half points per contest. He was able to give out a few assists per game last season, but we got a few guys that they able to get a hop for a few games, like Brandon Angel when the team was playing in the, I believe it was Diamond at Classic. He was able to have a couple very good games for the team, but then fell off from there. You have someone like a Maximine Raynaud, who's seven foot one. He's actually able to pop a few threes. He'll have a couple really good games, and then he'll be invisible for like 10 straight. Jalen Thompson is coming in as a top one recruit. That should be able to help this team out a little bit as well. He's six foot eight. He's able to offer a little bit of versatility, but you've got a lot of big men that are just a little bit soft down low as well. Spencer Jones, I think, is going to need to give this team a little bit more of a rough and tough personality. 12 points, four and a half boards per game out of him last season. Someone who he wants again can be very streaky in terms of the shooting as well. So I do take a look at this Stanford team, and I do think that there's no doubt some upside, and there's some pretty good depth with them as well. I question whether or not they're going to be able to put it together. That is why I have them number six in terms of my projector or finish. And number five, I'm going to be going with Arizona State. I really like what they did in the offseason. Someone like a Frankie Collins. 
He didn't see a bunch of minutes while he was at Michigan, but I think that he's got limitless upside. Luther Muhammad, who averages five points per contest, I think that he's going to be able to come in, and he's going to be able to do a solid job. And then you got the two Cambridges, as Desmond Cambridge, he comes in after he just has been bouncing around a little bit in general last season at Nevada, and while he was at Nevada, he was able to put up nearly 16 points per contest. You didn't have quite as much production out of the other Cambridge and Devin Cambridge over at Auburn, but he's a six foot six, very versatile player. Alonzo Gaffney should not be overlooked as well. He was able to give the seam over a block per contest when he was fully healthy last season. Six foot nine gentleman that has bounced around a little bit, but a former top one recruit. But biggest question with the seam: Can Marcus Bagley stay out there on the floor? This guy has a lot of NBA draft potential. When he was out there on the court last season, he was able to put up right around 11 points, six boards per contest. He's actually able to shoot from the outside. Question is, can he stay out there as he has played fewer than 20 games in two seasons for Arizona State? Seven footer war in Washington should be able to help out down low a little bit as well. Recruiting class a little bit lacking this year as compared to past seasons. And Jemiah Neal, six foot six, a little bit of a combo player. Looks like he's going to be out to begin the season for this team as well. But I do like where this team is heading. I felt like they did a great job in the transfer portal. And you can tell that Bobby Hurley was really getting this team to fire on all cylinders towards back out of the season. So as a result, I'm going to go, be going with Arizona State as my number five team in terms of my projector or finish. And number four, I am going to be going with USC. Vince Ayuchuku being out of the fold, that just is absolutely tough for this team. And I mean, just from a humanity standpoint, let's not even take a look at the basketball aspect. You just hope that the kid can lead a normal life. He collapsed in off-season workouts. You got to wonder whether or not he's going to see the floor at all this season. You just feel really bad for the kid. And as a result, Joshua Morgan, who came in a few years ago from the Big West, he's probably going to need to play some big minutes for the team after he averaged just three points, three boards per contest last season, began his career at Long Beach State. He was the Defensive Player of the Year in that conference a few seasons ago where he averaged 8.5 points, 6 boards, 2.5 blocks per contest. Don't expect big numbers from him on offense, but I think that he could be a plus defender. This team really ranges upon Drew Peterson, though. Great name as Mr. Peterson last season was able to put up 12.5 points, 6 boards per contest, shot a little bit over 40% from 3-point range, had a big game against Miami in the NCAA tournament as well. Boogie Ellis does a solid job of being able to get so many guys involved in the offense, 12.5 points, 2.5 assists per contest. I do think that they're going to need bigger strides forward this season from Reese Sticks and Waters. You can tell that towards the back half of conference play, he was really able to find his stride. Trey White is another highly touted freshman that is going to be coming in for the team. And Kajani Wright, who is probably going to be seeing more minutes now that Ayuchuku is out of the fold. He's six foot nine. He's a top 75 recruit. So I think that all in all, USC has the potential to be a top 25 team this year. I think that they should be relatively solid in this conference. I've got them number four, though, in terms of my projector or finish because you do have a lot of question marks with those younger guys. And number three, in terms of my projector or finish, I'm going to be going with Oregon. I always trust in Dana Altman. And even with Jermaine Cousinard out of the fold for a bit, I think that this team is still going to be fine with Cousinard. It was a case where he was very inconsistent while he was at South Carolina. He had some moments of greatness. He had his moments of not-so-greatness. And the big key for this team... They've got Will Richardson back in the fold last season. 14 points, 3.5 boards, 3.5 assists, 1.3 seals per contest. A career nearly 40% three-point shooter. That is rock solid for the team, but health is a big question mark. Will Richardson the last few years has missed quite a few games. In Folly Dante, the 6'11 big man, he has missed quite a few games, but you're bringing Khalil Ware, a top 50 recruit, a 7 
Carter should be able to really help this team out down low. Now, the question that I've got is the junior college transfer that came in last season in Rivaldo Soros. He saw a few minutes last season. He wasn't necessarily too great when he was out there on the floor. Can he take some strides forward? Can you see someone like a Nate Biddle, who's also 7 feet tall? Can he do a solid job down low? Because I do think that the backcourt is a little bit of a question mark for this team. They once again go to the... Uh, junior college market as you may recall that they had a lot of success bringing in Chris Duarte a few seasons ago. This year it's Tyrone Williams. He comes in from Grayson Community College. He's someone that's six foot five when I was at Grayson Community College. He was able to put up 27 and a half points per contest. Just absolutely insane. So we shall see what he's able to do. The Oregon track record with a lot of these junior college transfers. It's a little bit mixed, but I do think that Dane Allman is going to be able to figure out the Peaches and bringing back Will Richardson. Just massive for this backcourt. As a result, I do have the Ducks number three in terms of my projector finish. And number two, I'm going to be going with Arizona. Arizona is going to be without Courtney Ramey to begin the season. He was suspended because I think that he was partaking in like some sort of a camp or something like that. I don't have the full story, but what I do know is that you're not going to be seeing Courtney Ramey to begin the season. That hurts them a little bit, but that said, I was mentioning it with Roxy Bernstein, the guy that I think is really going to be able to come in and help alleviate some losses as you guys like it down Terry to Ben Matherin. That'd be the gentleman from Campbell who was just able to put it up in so many different ways in Cedric Henderson Jr. He's a six foot six, a little bit of a combo player, mid 33 point year that was able to give the team 14 points per contest, was able to give you right around five boards. He's able to give out a few assists. Absolutely love his game. And the team has done a nice job of bringing in a lot of talent. I know that Kirk Carissa has a lot of people that are doubting him right now because of what we saw in the NCAA tournament. And ultimately, I felt like the coaching staff should have protected him from himself. He should not have been out there on the floor in general, but when he wasn't playing the NCAA tournament, aside from those few games against UCLA, he was able to do a nice job. They brought in Kylan Boswell. He reclassified and reclassified guys. They have a little bit of a spotty track record, but I do think that he's going to be able to come in right away, and he's going to be able to compete. You may recall he was on the under-16 America's FIBA team, where he was able to put up right around nine points and over five and a half assists per contest. He should really be able to toe out the ball. Adama Ball, who was able to see some minutes towards back half of the season, he's able to put it in there from three-point range. Apelli Larson, I think, is a big key for this team. When I was at Utah a few seasons ago, was one of the top three-point shooters in all of college basketball, shooting well over 40% from three-point range last season. Had a few moments where he was able to give some brilliance. At 6.05, I would like to see him be a little bit of a better rebounder, but I certainly do think that you've got a lot of upside with all these guys being able to team up with Azulis Tabellas as Tabellas. He was tremendous towards back half last season, 14.6 half boards per contest, and those numbers were going up and up and up in conference play. So I do have Arizona number two in terms of my projector finish. And at number one, I'm going to be going with UCLA. UCLA did not hit the transfer portal at all, but what UCLA did was they've got a lot of guys that they just in recent years haven't necessarily seen the floor too much that are all going to be coming back. I do think that Jalen Clark is going to be a nice cog for the team. Someone who over the last few seasons spent a little bit of a role player, right around seven points, four boards per contest last season. I mentioned Adam Bona, he comes in from the great state of California. He's six foot nine, six foot ten. 
he should be able to add some toughness down low. And then Will McClendon, he was unable to hit the floor last season. I think that he's going to be able to help out this team this season. He's been dealing with a few ailments, but should be out there towards back half of non-conference play. David Singleton is someone that lends some depth to that backcourt, but let's call it what it is. The big key for this team is Sarger Campbell, the way that he is so efficient in terms of being able to dole out the ball. And as we heard from Roxy Bernstein, he might be able to play off the ball a little bit more because all of a sudden, his three-point shooting, it is quite a bit better. Jaime Hawkes, he's just the ultimate competitor, 13.5 points, right around five to six boards per contest. He's able to shoot it well from three-point range. Love his game. And then Mac Etienne, who was really unable to see the floor last season due to a torn ACL. He's going to be back. He's a former top one recruit that I think is going to be able to help out this team as well. And you're able to pair it all up with having so many of those recruits that I was talking about a little bit earlier. And Amari Bailey, he is the chief of all of them. A top 10 prospect, a guy that's going to be able to light it up from three-point range. He's going to be able to guard multiple positions. Very good on the glass at six foot five as well. UCLA, I think, has the entire package. And I think that they're a fringe Final Four contender. I've got UCLA number one in terms of my projector or finish. And that will wrap things up for my Pac-12 preview edition of Coast Coast Soups, now part of the Beeson Family of Podcasts. A big thanks to Roxy Bernstein of ESPN and the Pac-12 Network for joining me in the last segment. If you do like what you're hearing from this fine podcast, Coast Coast Soups, you're able to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. If you've got a question, comment, segment idea, what have you for this podcast, you do have one of two ways to be able to throw those in. First one is my Twitter timeline at unit underscore 81. Keep in mind, letters CM, they mean does not matter. So as per usual, please just send these into the timeline. And the other way, that is via an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. From there, you're able to fire in whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast. via that five-star review coming at you guys every single day on this podcast. We've only got four days left in the off season. So I'll be giving you guys news and notes and answering your questions the next few days. And then when it comes Monday morning, it starts up picks and analysis on every single game, every single day. So I will try to do once again about. Thank you so much for doing it. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.